0: Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sobottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All righty, guys. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 225 with Richard Bowles. How are you, Richard?
1: Mate, I am pretty good, but I'm thinking that you might even be better because I hear that you've uh, welcomed a new little human being into the world just at the end of last year, if I'm right.
0: Very good, mate. Very good, I have. Um, a little bit sleep deprived, but uh, been pretty incredible, to be honest. A little sunny. Um, yeah, he's keeping us on our toes. Thanks for that, mate.
1: I can, I can appreciate the, uh, the the lack of sleep because um, for those l- listeners out there that can't see you right now, I can see that you've got bags hanging down from your chin. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> so even, let's uh... start this thing off with a
0: compliment. <laughs> <laughs> this episode or you i love that mate. <laughs> now Rishi, we got on earlier we've had a, a good chat because you've been uh, up quite early as well and um i know that work these days you do a lot of presenting well pre- previously to COVID, uh, a lot of face-to-face um and like myself and a lot of other people now we're doing it all virtually so do you want to just explain what your morning looked like because obviously we're both in australia but you've been up quite e- early working with finance team in seattle it's pretty cool
1: yeah, 2 a.m. starts morning for me I was up and then I was in a, in a studio at 3.30 a.m. for a sound check and a bit of a, just make sure the slides and then, you know, all the software and the background works and stuff. And, and, and plus I need to make sure I'm looking cool on camera too. And then we, um, and then no we. No bags uh, on
0: your eyes. You no, know, exactly. exactly like
1: the, the, the beauty of makeup, mate. In 2020, you're allowed to wear makeup in 2020. Um and then, yeah, so the 5, 5 a.m. Kick, kickoff, which is going to be 11 a.m. their time. So, um, yeah, it's so a full sort of two and a half hours of just delivering content there. And then I was supposed to do this interview with you fr- from there, but I decided that I'd zo- Zoom home and have a quick wash and try and look, make myself look a little bit presentable so I don't have those bags like you do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the beauty of a podcast <laughs> is, mate, that no one will see this video, but I do appreciate the effort you <laughs> <Yeah>. made, mate.
1: <laughs> you, have now, pay, you have to paint the picture for those guys yeah. <laughs> that are
0: listening. <laughs> you do, mate. You do. And I think everyone appreciates that now in the world we're living in, this virtual world. So, mate, let's talk about let's paint the pitch obviously people can tell you full of energy um we're going to get into the crazy adventures you've done but do you want to just paint you a little bit of a picture in your background so listeners that can sort of figure out who richard is yeah would you want a business background or do you want a, like a life background mate just a bit of everything bit of business bit of, bit of life bit of everything yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, well, I started
1: off in Vegas working with Jamie Jury doing a stripper. No, I uh, am. <laughs> stripper, wasn't that Jamie Jury? Before, yeah, he, before was, he was a gardener. He, yeah, yeah. He was, no, yeah. I'm, I didn't work in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> it was more like the Workingmen's Club of the uh, UK. No, um, I, uh, well, I'm actually, I'm actually a POM originally, if we can still can use that, that term without, a, without offending people. Uh, but I've been in Australia 20 years. Um, I consider myself to be pretty much Australian. Um I'm not half as ocker as yourself there, Dale. You've still sure got I the accent.
0: Up. You've still got yeah, the mate,
1: accent, it, mate. I, 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 had, I had to adapt a little bit too. Like I, I use words now that I never used to use. Okay. Like, well, okay. I do, I, I, well, no, I used to say the same words, but I changed, I changed the way I say it. So I'm from the north of England where they say things like uh, grass, bath, glass. But here, of course, it's glass, bath and grass, right? Which I use all the time now. Which means I sound like an alien when I go home and visit family, because you know, I'm using all these words. Who are you? What are you doing? All right, ma- massively off, off topic. So, originally, um, I've been in Australia 20 years, started this, I guess, adventure journey of mine when I came to Australia, um, which we'll get, as you said, we'll get into a bit later. But really, I've, I've used these extreme adventures, let, let's call it that, um, to educate the cor- corporate world, which is where I come from. Um, I had a very successful sales career um, managing teams and then I sort of went out on on my own off the back of some of these extreme things that I've done Um, and now basically I educate teams and leaders across Australia and the world as you said before um, really on how they overcome change challenge and crisis Um, some of the things I've done have really helped me sort of flip myself into that world and, and it's funny because you know I find that it's 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 kind of the same I kind of find that the the, the business world believe it or not is exactly the same as this extreme adventure world that I that, that I'm in. It's just that the things that happen in the adventure world for me are just highlighted meaning that the, the situations and scenarios are blown so out of proportion that it really highlights the, the strategy or the tool or the idea of how I move through that particular scenario. The challenge with the business world is that when you're just busy at, at work you, you don't see how you move through the chaos so really my my work is about how how do people progress through through chaos
0: i like that mate i like that so let's get back to a little bit of uh before you got to australia and before you started the the business and things like that before you're in the corporate world um as a kid mm. growing up were you always adventurous did you like no. just pushing the pushing edge or was it when you got to Australia you thought thought I'm going to I'm going to try and get crazy well what, what, what was the catalyst to you know become yeah, well, such a, a five-time world record breaker and everything you're doing
1: <laughs> well yeah no I wasn't as, as a kid nah I was, I was I didn't do anything like this mate look, look I guess any kid is adventurous like it's just the nature of a child right but um but look, not like some of the stuff I've done I've, I have Australia to blame for this this thing <laughs> this, this path that I've, I've been on Um, but look, I guess in some ways, though I I say that, but you know, you have to understand what the word adventure means. And often when we use the word adventure, people immediately think of the outdoors or mountains and that kind of thing. When really adventure just means to, to pursue a, like a, a risky or a daring experience. So to be adventurous could mean trying a new food for the first time, or, you know what I mean? Like it can be that simple, but for some reason people pull it out of, out of, out of context. So going back to my you know, growing up, I mean, I have, I've, I've definitely done those down and risky experiences. You know, like just to be here in Australia without any fa- family or friends was probably one of the biggest adventures of my lifetime. Um, yep. To up and leave and just move here to the uh, the other side of the world, no friends, no no family, no no job to to come to i mean anyway so really i guess i am pretty i was pretty adventurous you know and i think i always wanted to get out of this little village i, I lived in in england you know i, I remember from a very young age and probably my first girlfriend at school um and i didn't realize i said this to her and don't worry it is polite um <laughs> i saw her at a, I, I, I unfortunately saw her at a, at, a, at a friend's funeral many years later um when i, I went back to, to england for it so i was probably in my twenties. And she said, Richard Bowles, I remember when we were like 15 and we were dating, you said you'd never live in this country. And now now you don't. How amazing is that? I said, yeah, like I, I always had that mindset. I always wanted, I always knew there was bigger and better things. I always knew there was bigger, better opportunities for me outside of this very small village where you know where your where your mum your mum and your dad can also be your, your brother and your sister you know it's that kind of <laughs> intimate environment in these small villages. Um, oh, so, I love that, mate. That is know, brilliant. <laughs> so yeah, so like I, I guess the long way to answer your question is yeah, I don't see myself as an adventurer by any standards. In meaning that you know the outdoors that my lifestyle is around now, I don't see myself as an adventurer in that in that regard. But I guess you know growing up and my life in general is pretty. Uh, adventurous. And I guess it is for everybody, particularly the last 12 months. Mm. I mean, you know, we take on risky and endearing experience. You've just had it. You just have the biggest adventure of, of your life.
0: And, and I think that is very true that the way you look at adventure, I think people pigeonhole, and it's like so many other words out there that they just categorize people that, oh, Richard's an adventure. He must be crazy or do silly things. But everything's an adventure. So in a podcast an adventure, doing a new job, getting having a kid. Do you know what I mean? All these different things are adventures. So do you think people stereotype you because of, you know, your title and the world records and things like that?
1: Well, I just don't talk about them. And I don't get stereotyped, right? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not, I, yeah, I'm not one to talk about. See, like I'm, I'm a, I go into these things for not really the physical experience. Like some of the stuff we'll get into later, you'll go, wow, that's obviously a physical experience. But for me, it's not. I, I'm, I'm in it purely for a mental experience. And in fact, what I really th- thrive off, which is a little bit ludicrous to some degree, is the fact that I would like to be challenged when I'm already physically and mentally exhausted. I want to get to that point where I'm so, like, I have no idea what's going on and then throw a challenge at me. Now now I'm going to kind of get excited. You know? I love trying to work out that, whatever that dynamic is. And that's really what, what my work's around too is, is putting myself at the coal in pushing myself in, intentionally into situations that are sometimes quite ha- hazardous or, or dangerous in the search for the answer to how you move through the chaos.
0: Mm. Oh, mate, I think that's amazing. And like you said, I think the metaphor works really well when you can relate it back. And I know you're a really good storyteller. And as I said, we'll get into that. Did you have some like a mentor or somebody you looked up to that, you know, got you into the adventure side of things? Or did you just thought, right, now I'm in Australia. It's a pretty crazy sort of place that I'm going to try some new things after, you know, moving from your small village that just sort of continued from there? Or did you have someone that guided you, a mentor, a coach, a friend?
1: I've never had a mentor or a coach, to be honest with you. No, I just don't um, I've not felt the need for that. And some people think that's a that's a must, but not not for me. And I don't know who I've really looked up to. I mean, I mean, obviously most people look up to their parents. And I, I was brought up in a single parent family. So it's just my mum and my older sister of four years. And so my, I've not seen my dad since I was 10. And look, I work with a whole bunch of psychologists, so we always delve into that you know, is it because your dad left you that, you know, you feel like you need to prove something and it's not at all. It's like, it's far, it's actually far, far from that. It's not that at yep. all. Um, and I've lost where I was going with this, but.
0: Um, That's all right. Um,
1: yeah. Just, just, just ask me the question again. What was the question? Yeah. So
0: it was, it was like, uh, and I suppose going back to it, it was like a role model or something like that. I suppose growing up with her in a single uh, parent yeah. family, like your mum, I'm, I'm sure she was a rock and she, I'm sure she's a role model, but was she an adventurer?
1: Yeah, no. Well, again, well, not not in not in what we think of of adventure, but definitely, yeah. you know, your husband leaves li- you. Like my mum found out, my dad was having a, like a, a four year affair, and he had a yeah. four year old daughter with an- another woman that we didn't even know oh,
0: about.
1: Yeah, wow. so crazy, right? So talk talk about having to face the chaos. You know what I mean? Like, um, and sort of endure that part of her life. You know, so pretty amazing person, but you know. As you get older, you also realise that your parents do have faults too, right? Like my mum had faults, even though I thought she was amazing. Um, so look, I don't, I don't know where this, 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 this idea comes from. Well, I, I kind of do. It's, it's really. I mean, a lot, a lot of people ask. I'll often ask me why. And I think the why to anything is such a profound question. It's almost one of those questions when you go into a really expensive shop and you ask how, how much something is. <laughs> And the answer is well, if you don't know, if you have to ask, you can't. You can't afford it.
0: It's kind of a bit like
1: that. It's it's such a profound question that if you need to ask it, then you don't really understand why anybody does anything. Because why does anybody do anything, right? It's such a it's such a it's such a profound question. It's such a deep question. Um, And I guess for me, look, I I know that I am, you know, my my value set is to be unique and it is to be adventurous, uh, adventurous, and those kind of things. So this. This career and this this life path for me just it lends itself to all the things that I I want, you know what I mean? And sometimes don't want to, right? Yes. Because it's not yes. as glamorous as it looks sometimes. Um, and I think that's often where many people probably likely get a little bit confused with with life when they're trying to search for this thing that you're going to be passionate about. And I'm not I'm not a big believer in. I actually don't like the word passion. I think it gets overused far far too much. At least in my in my world. And I think people are trying to look for that thing that energizes them and and they get it sucked out of that. And and it's important. But I think where people get lost on that is they're looking for this thing that's going to make them happy all of the time. And I think inside yourself, intuitively, everybody knows what path they should be on. Like, you know what you should do. Like, you have this feeling that maybe I should go and start this business or maybe I should go and do this, I don't know, this, this fun run or whatever it is. But the funny thing about intuition is that it often tells you, what you need to hear, not what you want, what you want to hear. So when you look at that thing, you go, well, I want to do it, but it looks way too hard and difficult. Right. Which is the point. I don't think I don't, I don't love what I do. I don't have passion for it. Like there's no way. Some of the things I do, I could not have passion for. If I did, I'd be in a straight jacket, locked off, (laughs) taken away. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's black. It's, it's black and white. It's light and shade. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's good. And it's bad. And I think if you've got both of those things heading into whatever endeavor it is, then you're probably on the right path. If it's all rainbows and, you know, but what's that the saying? Rainbows and lemonade. is, Lollipops, whatever the saying is, the saying is. If, if it's that all the time, then you, you're probably not on the right path. Mm. It needs to be ugly too. There's no, there's no super passionate. Oh, I'm happy all of the time. It's, 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 Actually, it's probably darker, more so than it is. It is light,
0: so well, that's an I inspiration agree. for you. It. <laughs> it is, mate. But I agree with that, Richard. Because how do you know what the good times are if you don't experience the bad times? Like, do you know I mean you? You need the bad times, so then you appreciate the good, and that's essential, isn't it?
1: What it is, and it's just life. And I think what I think that I, I believe that the big mistake people make when they when they set a goal or an agenda is that they they try and have this positive mindset which science proves d- doesn't work but by the way you can have the now i'm not saying it's not it isn't important to look on the bright side of our life but <laughs> we focus so much on on the positive side of attaining a, a goal that we forget about the negative side which is the majority of it and by neglecting that negative side really puts us in into strife because if i'm going to go from a to b I can look at all the Instagram pictures and lovely quotes and they're all powerful and they're, Oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) But the, but the reality is when I get up tomorrow, I'm faced with a challenge and if it isn't tomorrow. It's the day after, you know, it's this, there's this constant, constant uh, resistance from life. And I think people don't want to think about that side of things. And I think that is far more important to concentrate on the dark side than it is on the bright side. Um, But people are not, are not willing to go there.
0: And do you feel that people don't want to hear that as well? Because um, they they want to feel all these amazing things. They want to have the success. They want to have the adulation of achieving something good. But sometimes they don't want to realize what they've got to put in to get that.
1: Well, it's just reality. People just Mm. don't think about reality, you know, where I am to where I want to be. Like, if I I could give you any situation and you can fill in the gap, right? So let's say, let's take one of my adventures where I ran five and a half thousand kilometers across the Great Divide of Australia. Right? <laughs> I keep, people are going to think, well, that will be hard. Yeah, well, that's one of the things you have to think about. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tiring. It's going to, you know to are going to be hungry. You're going to want to give up at some stage. It's probably going to be pretty scary. You know, you can make your own list of stuff. It's not rocket science. But we fail to do that often. Look at all. The, we're all thinking, oh, this would be good. This would be exciting. Visualize the end. And it's like, and that's where you, you, you come undone, is you're not concentrating on the things that will actually hold you back and often they're not the things that I will talk about later in some of these adventures. the thick th- adventures, often the things that hold you back is only one thing in fact that holds you back. You, yep. <laughs> right. You are the problem. Um, always, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm fully aware of that. In any, any endeavor I put myself into, I, I, I realize that the only, only challenge ever going to be is me, myself, and I, the end, there's no other challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, and you just got to, and, and you are the problem, and you are dark. You start exploring yourself, you realize how negative and, and dark you really are. So it's really about embracing that that side of things.
0: And um, I've, I've spoken, to, uh, sorry, Kay, I've spoken a lot right. about this recently, and a lot of the other podcasts I've done that. We are our own worst enemies. The way we speak to ourselves is sometimes disgusting. We'd never say that to anybody else, but we're so quick to judge and put ourselves down, and um, or put up negative thoughts that we can't do this or blockers. And, and like you just said, how do you overcome that? So if you're working with people, because everybody deep down has these negatives, has these things that will stop them doing something, how do you get people to sort of push that aside and and I don't know, be more like you, running. Christ, the great dividing range or do you know what I mean like how do you get that negative self-talk out of people's minds you don't <laughs> can't but get you rid can't. of it
1: yep you can't get rid of it it's always there right so the so the so the the challenge i guess is to is to be able to control those to control what you're thinking right but you can't really control what you're thinking you can't control emotions as much as people think that you can because if someone jumps out of the bushes and goes boom you automatically <laughs> shit yourself <laughs> you've got no choice in that, right? So you can't actually control. It's, everyone goes, you need to be able to control your emotions. You can't actually control them. Um, not initially. Anyway, only after the fact. So the first thing you have to understand is that you can't stop any of that stuff from ha- happening. But what you've got to work out is well, when it does, you've got have a strategy to overcome it. And that's quite different for every single person. Is what drives one person or motivates one person or helps some person step into chaos or fear or a critical situation very very different the way way you do that but it's very often very simple too so the first thing to do is know that you can't control that but you can control it after the fact and in fact i believe that you can you can control it before the fact going back to what we said to before you have to acknowledge what may happen now you can't predict the future I can't predict the future. I don't look into a crystal ball and I go, this is what might happen today. <laughs> but you, you know from no matter how old you are and the life you've had, what kind of things set, set you back. And they're not situations as such. They're how you respond to situations. And you just had a very good educational le- lesson over the last 12 months to what's to hold you back and, and, and stops you from doing stuff. It was called COVID nineteen, right? So you've, you've <laughs> learned a lot about a lot about yourself. Oh, it still is, right? So you've learned a lot about that yourself. You know, like like oh, when this when fears come up, I don't do this or I do do this. You know, and and that's what you've got to you've, you've got to f- figure out. It, there's a thing called uh, um, mental contrasting. You might have thought you might have heard of this idea before, but it was done by a lady called Gabriella Otting out of I can't quote the uni, but somewhere in the US. Um, and baby, the, the idea of this mental contrast piece peace is that you, you, you figure out where you, where you are and where you want to be. And then you, you the bit in between, which we spoke about before you go, what in between is going to hold me back? What am I going to put in the, in, in there? that's going to hold me, me back. And just by even just thinking about that process without actually putting any action in, you already have a bit better chance of overcoming those obstacles when they arise, just because you thought about it. Oh, yeah. um, but again, we often ignore that stuff and don't think about that stuff. So the, the answer is that yeah, you've got to you've got to just figure out in advance. And I think that is that is more important now than e- e- ever before because we live in a world that is so hyper paced that most organisations think that they need to be agile. But the most the, the quickest of react, reaction times is not fast enough in the world that we live in. No, it, it, you know it's it's so it's hyper paced. So you don't have you don't have the the luxury, let's say, of trying to figure out how you overcome an a, 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 an internal setback when it arises. You need to instantly adapt. You need to be able to change there 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 and then. Because if you have to think think about it, work work out for the next five, 10 minutes how this this thing might you know how you might get over this thing. Then you know an, an, another challenge comes or something else arises. Um, Plus, we're always in a state of overcoming some sort of challenge, or so any one day or week. So we're full of these challenges. So it's 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 about, in some ways, being preactive and not even proactive, because proactive is too slow. You need to be a yeah. preactive person, if that even is a word, which it's not. That um, be now. <laughs> yeah, but it's not even about being. Pre- it's not even about being preactive. It's just about being adaptive, it's about being instantly ad- adaptive. You know, you you need so you really need to think about in advance the setbacks that, that are going to come and often people say to me but how how could I know that there was going to be a, a worldwide pandemic so, well you, you don't but you do know how you respond to uncertainty so if you thought about how what what I do when I'm uncertain you would have had a real good chance of actually trying to na- navigate this whole shit show you know in a, in a better way than you have done
0: Mm, I I think that's very true and like you said it can relate to you know playing sports or on an adventure you don't know what the other team's going to throw at you you don't know what the train's going to do if you're on a run but you just navigate and when you get to that you figure it out so I think that's a great analogy for people and uncertainty it's still around and it probably always will be Um, that is something that we need to deal with and um, you'll obviously been through what we've been through this last year 2020 you'll have a better understanding of your qualities and how you overcome that but Richard, your main thing is, mate, you are the crazy man. You are the world adventure. Let's, can you tell me some of, obviously, you spoke about the Great Divine Rain Run. What else have you done? I think I'm excited about this because I love hearing crazy stories. So what are some of these adventure records you've done for the listeners? Well,
1: predominantly, a lot of it was in the, in the running space. Even though I'm not a runner, I'm not passionate about running at all. So it's kind of ludicrous. So I did a lot of uh, super, super long distance runs, like five and a half thousand kilometers across mountain ranges that span countries, essentially. Um, I've done that kind of all all over the world, and then more recently, I move into more of it's more experimental for me. So I'm putting myself into situations and and other people's lives in their shoes, if you like, um, to figure out how they overcome. Uh, the chaos and, and i guess i'm able to do that now because i i'm able to put myself in a somewhat very uncomfortable situation and be i guess fairly comfortable with it which means now i can really um, focus on and, and listen in on other people and how they overcome the chaos in the moment um, but look i've done i've as I say i've run these long distance trails i've crossed the daintry River for those listeners who are not in Australia. It's full of crocodiles. Um, I've been in a, a war zone in Israel. Missiles are flying overhead. Uh, I need, need to have my leg leg uh, amputated from a severe foot, foot infection. I've uh, I've weed blood with severe dehydration. Um, I once ran around the base of an exploding volcano. I lived on the streets of in India for a week with uh, with the rats and eating off the streets and drinking off the streets and going to the toilet on the street and trying to live on two, two lives a day. i um, about to go and live on a on a giant landfill site in uh, in Asia. Um, so I've done some some pretty wow. extreme, extreme things, I guess. Yeah, all sorts of things. But it really depends which which way you want to go, go with this, right? Because there's just so much there that sometimes you need to pick one one or two adventures. And we could probably go into more more detail with that.
0: I, I love that. Now let's I'm I'm fascinated with the training. Um I love the, the body is the most amazing thing. I it always surprises me. But what you do to your body, Richard, and particularly with these runs, is incredible. Like you're pushing the limits like crazy. So what's your training like? Like what training do you need to put into your body, particularly if you don't like running? I'm sure you've got to do a truckload of K's before you go on one of these things. So what's your training like? Your diet. Do you want to sort of paint that out for the listeners? That's what I'm really fascinated about.
1: Well, you are, but you know, it'd be quite boring to talk about because it's not that it's not so intricate as you might think it is. Like, I just eat normal foods. I mean, granted, in bigger quantities, because, you know, if you're running two marathons a day carrying all your belongings on on your back through the wilderness, you know, you you have to eat a lot of food. (laughs) Um, And it's just normal stuff. There's no no special diet there or special vitamins or special sports drinks. It's just normal food, right? Um, And then uh, training wise, I mean, it's, I mean, you have to do a lot of running, but, but not that much really, because unlike a, if anyone's ever ran
0: a marathon, have you, have you run a marathon down a couple of half marathons. I really yeah, despise don't. running Richard. And, yeah, um, same. yeah, <laughs> I'm don't. nowhere near your level though, buddy. That's no, don't, insane. Don't do it. Don't run a marathon. Stupid. <laughs>
1: um, you know, just, just quickly. I was told, I was told, uh, my fr- the very first marathon back in about 2006, I guess, I think it was, um, uh, a road marathon and uh, a friend of mine said, you know, a marathon will change your life. And I went down the great road around this beautiful marathon and obviously I was tired and I crossed the finish line and was like, well, isn't that disappointing? Cause I feel exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> but now I look back on my life all these years later and realize actually, yes, it definitely changed my life. Um, but yeah, like if you run a, if you run a marathon, then people generally in training at some stage, Will build up to practically run the distance 30 kilometers, 35K, 37 kilometers. With the distance being 42, if you can run 35 kilometers, you can pretty much get through the last bit of 7Ks, right? Um, so, you know, so, but for me to run five and a half thousand kilometers, you don't go and run five thousand to see if you can run five and a half thousand. Do it doesn't work like that. <laughs> yeah. So, so for some, to some degree, you take a you just take it a big risk and a gamble because you don't actually know if you can do it. I had no idea if I could do it or not. What I did know is I could run a marathon. I knew I knew that. So in this particular venture, I did a ma- a marathon day through the wilderness. Um, and I did not know if I could if I could do that two days in a row or three days in a row. Now I had a good good idea because in training I would have probably ranked up the miles a bit, you know. But still, like I don't know if I lost a week or. or or two weeks, no idea. But that's not the point, right? It's an adventure. You don't know. It's it's an unknown outcome. That's yeah, what yeah. an adventure is. So I just went and did it anyway. Figured it out <laughs> because in my because in in my own mind, I realized if I did three days in a row, that would have been a massive achievement. That's further further than had ever gone before. Do you know what I mean? I had no fear of that i didn't care but at the same time i did have a lot of sponsors on my back and people who had funded the project and i did a lot of media um and that put a tremendous amount of pressure on on me to make sure i did just do it even sometimes when i felt like i didn't want to do it do
0: you Um, think that there you go mate
1: it's not that it's not that exciting the training's you know it's just it's just running to learn how to run if you want to run a long way you have to run a long way that's it (laughs)
0: I, I love that. So do you think by making the commitment and obviously getting the sponsors and putting yourself out there on media, that that was sort of keeping you accountable? Because like, I know a lot of people need account training buddies and things to be accountable and things like that. But do you think by doing all of that, you had no choice in your own mind, I suppose? Uh,
1: yes. So what I do, what I'm really good at doing is that I build, a, I build a team up, at least mentally in my own mind, that puts a tremendous amount of pr- pressure on me. So, you know, if you always think of it as like a, like a, like a funnel or upside down triangle, where on the pointy bit on the bottom is me. And then each layer I go up, this inverted triangle, I, I make myself accountable to people. So the first people I'm probably the first person accountable is me, right? It's me at the bottom. Then on top of that, well, I told my family I was going to do this, right? And they're, they're the next level of defense to me. It's like, well, wow, I told these guys I'm going to do it for them. So boom, I put them on. Then above, above that, it's, it's friends, Right. Then above friends might might be a sponsor or some external group I'm attached to. And then above that might be uh, some people who funded it. And then at the top of the funnel might be um, the charity I'm doing it for. And then top of that is a whole online community. And you can see very quickly how that weight of people that I said I was going to do this for comes down on me in a tremendous amount, amount of pressure. The cool thing about that is it makes you feel obligated to carry out what you said you were going to do. You know, even when you feel like you don't you don't want to it's like man i've got so many people i'm now responsible to um that i have to carry this out the interesting thing about that that triangle the upside down triangle is that when i speak to the leaders they'll often say but i carry a tremendous amount of pressure but it is rich i don't want any more pressure thanks i've got a shitload on my back i say <laughs> yeah but but but, but remember what you're going to do is turn that triangle up the right way and now you're on top of the massive support system like hugely yeah. so you know what I mean so there's all these people there to support you and encourage you and validate your ideas move, moving forward so so I, I have this sort of yin and a yang where I've got this huge support network but also I've got this pressure to to do stuff and I think it's important that you log that up as big as you can now I guess in a work context you can go well there's me my family my friends my boss my team you know my department and then the company as a whole and then external you know partners and whoever you work with and there's customers, you know I mean? You can really build this thing up. Then I'd go as far as picking um, if you're part of a football team or you coach the dad's footy club or whatever the thing is, you build it up so much that you have this tremendous amount of weight that's also your support. And I think that really offers um, a good push when when you need it. Um, and also it's good to get feedback from people that you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing. I, I bought this little guy called jack right that i put in my, my list years ago so when i did the great dividing run i uh, i did some school stuff like like you do actually i stopped in some yeah. schools a lot long route, remote schools sometimes had two students um and i'd just tell them about the things i'd seen the day before or, or that day and then i'd really pop in for 20, 20 minutes and i'd get back on the trail and, and carry on and, uh, and this particular school said, oh, can we do a bit of a charity event for you? We're going to get the kids all to wear red to school and they're going to pay $2 to, to do that. So all these little kids wearing red. So it's, like, it's like Santa's little helpers, you know. walking all wearing red. <laughs> Not the North and, Pole uh, though. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And I just spoke to them about, you know, um, what sort of animals I've seen. You know, it's just the fun stuff, these, these small kids. And then, uh, and then I needed to leave to get, to get back on the trail. So I said to one of the, the teachers, can you say thanks to the principal and stuff? I've just got to get going because you know, I want to get this thing done. I don't want to be on this trail forever. Uh, yeah, sure. But as I left, um, this little boy, which is now Jack, ran over to me and gave me an envelope. And he goes, "There you go, sir." And he and he ran off. I was like, "Oh!" Well, and I looked inside, and some the, the money for the the charity thing I'd done, right? Yeah. The, t- the two dollars the kids had paid, and. Uh, so I went, I went across the car park to leave to get in the vehicle to take back to the trail. And then this lady came up to me and she goes, Oh, Richard, did, did you get your, your, your money? I said, I did. Thanks. Thanks. Can you say thanks to the school? She went, Oh, that envelope there. Did that little boy over there give it to you? I said, Yes. Yeah, she said, No, that's my son, Jack. He's been saving up his pocket money for the last three months, knowing you were going to come here today.
0: Oh,
1: and man. he wanted to give it to you so he could, help, he could help you out. Right. And that still puts, puts the hairs on the back of my neck when I talk about that story, right? So Jack is definitely on my list of people I'm accountable to. If this little boy can save up his pocket money for three months, why the hell can I do stuff? Do you know what I mean? Wow. Now Jack's probably 22 now, get, getting drunk and get, getting laid. But in my own <laughs> mind, Jack is still this cute little boy, right? <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> oh, I love this. So, so is it like when you, obviously things like that keep me motivated, but yeah, that, that story is incredible is it things like that you're most proud of that you're inspiring you know, in the younger generation I'm sure you're inspiring others and helping so many charities and people that need it but you're inspiring younger kids so Jack you don't know what Jack's doing now he may want his three months of pocket money back due to COVID but yeah. at that time you, motiv- you motivated him <coughs> to save his money and do some form of kindness to somebody else is that the stuff that you're most proud of Rich? know yeah, well I'm going to say
1: no which will surprise a lot of people
0: that's good. I I'll, like be,
1: I'll, be, I'll be massively honest. It's funny, you know, some people in, let's say, I mean, what I do now is not all about just running stuff, but let's say the people are going to run the charity, right? So I'm going to do this run for charity. I honestly feel at times, and I don't want to offend anybody out there, but I'm just going to put it out there. Um, it's because that's what I like to do. I'm <laughs> the <laughs> <Roughly> offense. <laughs> no, but I find, <laughs> no, I just find that, are you, are you doing it for charity or are you doing it for you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like if 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 you're doing it for charity, when you say when you do something that was really like just for charity, like meaning that it doesn't benefit you in any way, so I'm gonna put I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself on the chopping block and be executed for charity. Now that's something I will get money for because like well that's you're doing that for charity because no one wants to die, right? <laughs> um, but I think sometimes when you pick something like I've done, like you want to go and do this adventure or run, I think initially it starts with you. I think if people are completely honest, it's a, it's about them. So everything I do is about about me. I can't have fear of saying that it comes. It starts with me first because I want to do it. I want the experience. I want the insight. I want to achieve my own, my my own goals. But by default, as you said before, it helps the other people. But I think if you go into it focusing on just other people, that you you're not on the right path. Because there's only one thing on the planet that, as a human being, you care about the most. What's the number one thing do you think Dale that people care about the most?
0: I can tell you right now. It's the person they see in the mirror themselves, their thoughts, totally everything right. about them. Totally,
1: exactly. So everything's about you. The good, the bad, everything comes back to you. The way you respond to stuff comes back to you, right? So it has to start with you. And I think, you know, if we go back to what we said before about finding this, this why, if you want to call it that, it's like you need something that's so compelling and so profound that by default, you are able to, I guess, give off this energy that transfers onto other people. So really, it's about finding out exactly what you want first and really pursuing that. Because if you're on that right path, everything else just falls into place. People become inspired. People get motivated by you. And I believe also you can influence people in that state too, which I've do, new, done numerous times. Again, by default, not even having to try to influence people. And give you an example of that. I went to Israel and around Israel's national trail just over a thousand kilometres long through through the desert and the Negev Desert. The Negev desert. Um, obviously as you can imagine the desert. So it's hot, dry, arid, zero shade for the whole day. I did in 85 Ks a day through the desert. Wow. Carrying all my stuff on the back with very with lack of lack of water. And uh, day one, I finished day one, 85Ks, and I was met by my team that particular day and I had these huge blisters all over my feet. Now, that's kind of, you consider that to be kind of normal, but for me, it's not that normal. I don't really get blisters. I mean, if, if you get blisters, you don't dream up running five and a half thousand kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you get blisters when you run, you don't dream that up, right? So it was, it was quite unusual for me. And my team said, look, it's, da- it's day one. Let's just can this thing start at a later date and it's going to get these feet looked at. Because it was pretty bad. Like. I was like, nah, started now. We're going to do this. This is what's going to happen. We're all going to stay together, and we're going to get on this part, and we go, we're going to go for it. Oh, okay. The, the next day was worse. Now my foot was starting to swell up, and those blisters are just getting nasty. Oh. Uh, day three, that eighty-five k was slower than the previous days, which would be not normal because obviously putting back-to-back double mountains like that times you out. But but to the point where like you know, I just wasn't making the times I'd not normally make, and at this stage now I pushed them the backs of my running shoes down. So I'm wearing light Crocs because one of my feet was not fitting in the shoe because it was blowing up. Wow. Day four, now I'm slowing down. I'm limping. um, And I've got this this red line that's starting to creep up my leg. And uh, just carried on. Day five, boom, got to day six. Seven, can't remember, but... And it's quite lucky this day that I just made it in close to Jerusalem. So I was in some kind of, you know, sub- suburban area rather than just the desert. And one of my team members came and said, Oh, I'll just do the next 10 K with you because we, the, the truck can come around and pick and pick me up. So I'll, I'll just come with you when I realized now they wanted to come with me to see what was going on. And, I, and uh, they said you, you were running along, crying and whimpering and just limping and still going forward and but luckily they came with me because i actually just collapsed my, my foot and my leg just gave up Boom, i collapsed in a big mess so they got the truck and they picked me up and then rushed me off to an emergency department in jerusalem and we get into the ward there and this doctor comes in he was like oh wow i said what's up you guys this this is bad like this is really bad this is like he goes i'm just gonna let you know now this could be amputation wow i'm like I'm like shit. This is not. This is not a good thing, is it? <laughs> oh not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Now I was, I was feeling pretty bad. Um, you know, I was, just, I was I was upset. And then he anyway. He said, "So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to drain it. See if we can drain it and check out the fluid and see what's going on." So he, he gets this giant syringe. It was like something out of a Looney Tunes. You know? <laughs> it's a giant. <laughs> Sticks it into my foot, drains all this fluid out, and uh, gives me a whole bunch of me- medicine. And you know, and says, "Look." you need to rest up probably for a few few days and we'll see what happens. Uh, He goes, but you're lucky. You're really lucky. He goes, but can I, can I ask you why you let it get this bad? And I had no answer for him. I just didn't want to say. So that night I spent in a hotel room and I'm just lying there in this, in a huge amount of pain, like pain I've never, I don't think felt since Um, just like just the worst agony and it wasn't from a footdale it for me it was that the, the pain was it was it was anguish on my soul that i'd not set out to do what i wanted to do and that's when it kind of dawned on me that you know that wow okay so there's something there's something way more to this than just reaching the end of this trail or setting a world record for, for the fastest time or whatever like there's something way more profound going on here and the next day we went down to uh to see this doctor and he was the, the sponsor i had in israel had, had got in contact with this very famous sports doctor there in the middle east and uh and he was like no you should you should be okay tell me what is it that that you're trying to achieve i said well I'm, i want to run 1200 kilometers in 14 days and so far i'm about 12 hours behind <laughs> he goes yeah okay he goes well okay let me have a look all right so he got out his prescription pad Wrote down the details. He goes, go go downstairs to the ph- pharmacy and get this. So I go downstairs and I give, <laughs> give this prescription to the woman. She was like, She looks stunned. She goes, Oh my God. I said, what? She goes, Are you sure about this? I was like, yeah, the doctors gave it to me. She went, This is mega dose. <laughs> this is like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of drugs. Are you sure? I said, it's the doctor upstairs. She said, I'm I'm going to call him. She had to call him up didn't believe him <laughs> I, no she didn't believe him and then she came down she says I, I, okay he says it's okay she said but you've got to be careful because like this is like this is like illegal quantities as she said to me and she went out the back and I swear to God when this when this when these these bottles of tablets came back they had like pictures of farm animals on them like it was like this tranquilizer stuff so I popped all these pills and I was back I was back on the trail back that day you know I was back on the trail and, uh, and I, I finished floating? it off and and it didn't, I did 14 and a half days. I, I was a bit, a bit short. Um, no, I don't remember flight, I Just I just got on with it. Anyway, it's funny, you know, when I when I, when I think about a story now, I go back and I, as I said to, said to you before, I do a lot of research, a lot of different psychologists across all sorts of different fields when I when I complete these these adventures. So really, I like to dive into how things happen and stuff. And unpacking that story, what I, what I found was that, you know, it's it, it was first of all that that, the, the why is such a, such a powerful thing. Like it, it, it's something that, as I said before, has to be so compelling and so profound that you actually can't explain it. I think if you can explain in, in a concise sentence or, or a paragraph why you do what you do, I don't believe you actually really know exactly what you want to do. And it's funny, you know, I know I do a lot of writing for, um, well, I used to do, I used to do some writing, I should say, for uh, National Geographic in Australia. And they asked me, can you, Richie, can you write an article on why uh, adventurers do what they they do? So I'm the worst person to ask, by the way, because I don't really know. (laughs) But 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 interestingly, when you go and search through um, the history of explorers and even modern-day adventurers, and you look through, like, the questions the media ask them before or after they've done something, they don't actually have a concise, they don't actually tell you why. But some of the most famous quotes are, because it's there. When the guy was, the lawyer was asked why he wants to climb Matt Everest case because it's there. Well, that's not a reason why. And no, another famous one is like to knock the bastard off. Well, that's <laughs> not a reason why. So, you know, when you look at all these famous statements, like there's not actually a reason why. And I think it's because they can't explain it. It's so profound that I can't tell you what it is, but what I do know is that it's something that I have to go and do not want to do have to go and do, which is the big difference. Been wanting having to do something, and I think when you know you're on the right path, it's you. You just feel compelled to do it, which means that you will go to any lengths to make sure it happens. Like you won't question yourself. Like you won't. You, you, I spent some time with these these monks in Japan. They called them the the marathon monks of Mount Hiei, and basically they do this seven year pilgrimage where they run two marathons two marathons a day around this this mountain, and just to cut a quite long story short of that, you know, basically once you start this seven year journey, you can't stop. So if you get bit bitten by a snake on the mountain or you get, you get the flu or you get some other horrible disease or a big stick goes through your foot, like one of the guys I saw there and your foot blows up, you have to do the same thing every day for seven, seven years. And if you don't, there's only one option. You have to take your own life. So they carry a noose and, and a dagger. So you either hang yourself or you disembark disimb- yourself. So when you're in this, you're all in. Like, that's that's it. There's no out. So once you're in, you're in. Wow. Now, the, the trail there is littered with numerous graves where <laughs> people have had to take their own lives. Um, but, you know, when you, when you speak to these guys, it's like, this, It's it's that's it. That's what I'm going to do. They don't even consider that they're, they're going to have to kill themselves because they're so heartily into it. You know, it's such a profound thing. It's like, and the reason to do it for them is to become enlightened and be a living day saint. Now, to become enlightened is not really an end goal because I would have thought that is a, is a forever goal. Like, you can, ne- <laughs> you can never actually achieve it, right? So I think it's, it's, it's that. It's finding something that you, you're actually never going to reach. It's something that you're just all about. And you, and you, you can't explain mm-hmm. it. And again, it should be something that you love and you hate. You should be a love-hate relationship with it. Like, I love this. Uh, sorry, I hate this but I will, I just have to do it. It's going to happen. It's just, that's the way. And that's why I was in so much pain in that hotel room in Israel because like it was, it, it hurt me. Like, and I, and I believe that if you don't achieve a goal for whatever reason, small or large in your control or out of your control and you don't achieve it and you feel if you don't feel upset by that or a little bit pissed off by that, or it didn't ruffle up your feathers or piss you off or make you cry you were never going to achieve that in the f- first place.
0: Wow. Because uh, you were not that. all intermittent. Yeah. It, it it is no, so mate. true. And you need to you need to go all in. I completely believe that. Now, Rich, I can guarantee people are, you know, listening to this and they're like, Wow, I'm loving these stories. I'm loving the lessons that are coming from your adventures, your stories, and your wise words. Where can we find you, mate? Internet. <laughs>
1: 2020, oh, 2021, mate. What you do is you you go into this, this is an ama- amazing tool that a lot of people use. It's called <laughs> it's called Google, and you just type in anything in there, and you find anything you like. It's amazing. It's really like it's really profound. You
0: have to you have to give me a little lesson on this. It sounds great. It's been around <laughs> a long
1: <'Cause> I'm new. <laughs> For some people, unfortunately, it's new. It's brand new. <laughs> some of the people I speak to they go. If you ask me things like, "Okay, you know, you could just ask it, Google that." Who, what who what what? <laughs> um, no, but, you know, I, well, no. You know in all, in all If you just put put my name into the internet, I'll see website stuff comes up. My business is Adventure Alchemy. Um, that's 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 the corporate side of things, the the, the, the consultancy that, that we have. But um, yeah, just put put me yeah, in Richard Bowles and Bowles is spelled B-O-W-L-E-S, like Camilla Parker Bowles. You've been watching the Royals, not the Royals, the the Crown. Uh, you know about Camilla? But we're not we're not related. If you looked at her, you'd know we're not related.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, Rich, I love that, mate. Oh, guys, I, this is episode number 225, and I'll have links in the show notes to Rich's website uh, where you can check out more things like that. Now, Rich, probably the biggest question for me before I let you go, mate, I know, as we yeah. said, you've had, a, you've had an early start. Um, have you got into the AFL? Because I know when I lived in London that uh, the EPL, I, I got all over Fulham. Um, I didn't jump on, you know, Chelsea or Man U, one of these front-running sides. I got on the backbone. I got on one of the teams that were, you know, thereabouts, su- surviving for relegation. AFL mate, have you jumped on board? Are you into it? No. No. <laughs> okay. And this was a great podcast
1: episode. See you and uh, see you next week. No, um, no, no am no, no, no. No, no, no. no, I'm not. No, I'm, not, I'm, not mate, I'm not a sports person. I don't really follow
0: anything. You're not a runner? What what are you? What would you classify yourself as? You're not a runner, you're not a sports person. Like what? Uh, would you know. What are you?
1: I don't I don't need to be a thing mate. You know this is a new world. We don't have to be anything these days. No, you don't have to be male or female either. So gender neutral. You know, I can I can be anything I want to be. So um <laughs> so it depends on the day and who I'm speaking to. Who I'm going to be today. <laughs> that, 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 that that takes it back to us 20 telling people I was a dolphin trainer. But you know like <laughs> um uh yeah mate like I don't you know I'm not a spot not to sport. I just never have been. And sometimes I don't know if that's because you know being brought up by my mum and my sister just meant that you know sport wasn't really in my life, but even at school, I didn't really play any sports or be involved. I, I couldn't take football players' names or, you know, even soccer players, I any names for that, you know, any sport. Um, I, I sometimes watch, like, um, if there's some sort of big final on something, I'll just yeah. wa- wa- I'll watch it. I almost feel like I have to to some degree. But sometimes <laughs> I usually, also use the excuse, at least in Australia, that, you know, obviously being a POM in Australia, when cricket comes up, you know, I'm in for a, a rough time. So to not care about sport just means they go, I don't care. Yeah, you're right. They are crap. I really don't care if they are or they're not. Like, <laughs> is it, it's a good way I to mean, stop the it's sledging. So yeah, totally. totally.
0: Um, um,
1: yeah. So sorry about that, mate. No, I can't talk. talk no, nah, mate. That's, talk all, good, that's all
0: good. And I've just got one last question. So next adventure, have you Have you got something crazy? Like obviously what you've already done, people are thinking, that is crazy already. But is there something that you like, it's, you know, you need to do, you need to tick off. What's next? Um,
1: well, yeah, often these things come to me. I don't really go in search of them, you know, as I said before, intuitively, you just follow a path and, you know, things has happened. So, um, but I'm engaged in the moment in a, in a, in a documentary series, a six part series. So I just finished, uh, I say just finished this whole last year, just sort of slowed things down a bit, but we've done the first episode. Um, basically it's me going into, uh, foreign environments, living with people in extreme poverty, um, and working and living the life as they do, mirroring their lives. Wow. So I, kept, I was in India, and I lived as what they call a, a hand-pulled rickshaw waller. So some people have heard of, like, you know, motor rickshaws or cycle rickshaws. These guys basically pull a two-seated wooden car on foot, barefoot, uh, live on the streets, eat from the streets, sleep with the rats and stuff, and, um, and try and earn two, $2 a day. So I was, I was doing that just for just, just over a week, um, which made things pretty challenging, having to poop on the street and live with rats and wow. and work sort of 14 hours a day every single day. It was pretty, pretty full on. Um, but, th- but for me, it was about having an insight into how these people overcome the adversity and the, you know, the, the challenges of daily life for them. Um, like I said before, I'm able to put myself into a, a situation like that, which would ordinarily for most people be about them. Because like, you know, it's rats corner every at night time, not eating properly, bad water, wa- washing in a river that's got dead cows in it. Um, you know, mate, like the environment's pretty, pretty tough. But for me, it's like, well, that's half comfortable. I can deal with that. It's, it, it isn't nice, but I can deal with that, which then gives me the ability to really sort of get into the, the guy's heads that have been doing this their whole life and how they overcome that. So, and that's just going to roll, roll on now for another sort of uh, five parts that are generally in the same co- co- kind of theme. So the next one probably is going to be uh, in Vietnam, when I live on a, a giant landfill site. Um, this landfill is so big that it's, um, it's pretty much always on fire because the sun sets it on fire and uh, it has its own landslides and kills people, it's so big. But basically there's a whole community of people that live on this dump and they make their living from this dump, eat from the dump, you know, sleep on it. That's, that's their community. Um, so I'm going to just go and and live for those guys and see if I can get enough valuable things out of the dump to, uh, you know, to survive as well. Wow. So
0: uh, that would have to be quite, you know, when you do this and also people watching it quite gratifying to realize, you know, how lucky we are, you know, to live obviously growing up in the UK or in Australia or wherever you are, just how lucky our life is. Do Do you think that is one thing that people will get out of that? How hard some people really do do it? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, well,
1: de- definitely. You can't not, you know. If everyone we showed this, uh, this first episode to, which is kind of a pilot and first episode, you know, everyone that I know of, even grown men have cried um, at the end of it. Uh, even I cried during the whole thing. You know, it's, it's a pretty pretty sad thing. I mean, I'm, I'm basically living with this, not living on the streets, with this small community of rickshaw pullers and one of them is 75-year-old man that has been pulling a rickshaw since he was like 16 his whole life he's never going to get out of that it's any job he's got and the government are now trying to abolish that that whole thing because they want to try and tight up the city and modernize the city but this is a guy who's not educated he doesn't have any other means of making any money you know so to sort of pull that rickshaw for 14 hours a day every day every single day of the year and really live hand to mouth uh was just incredible incredible insight um so, yeah, mate, let's, look, it's it's a sad story. And, of course, we do have it lucky here. But that doesn't mean that we don't have our own challenges, right? Because you've got to put things into context. You know, yeah, we don't – live. I don't like it like my mum used to say to me. Oh, well, think about those people in other countries that don't have as much food as you, so make sure you eat all your vegetables. Like, well, that's, that's great, but I don't live there. <laughs> I live here. I've got my own problems, you know. Third, third world problems, like – over well, its first of all problems, we'd say yeah, not third problem. all problems. First all problems, yeah, because I live in the in this world, so it is a problem that the yeah. Wi-Fi doesn't work today because it interrupts my day and stuffs everything up. So you know it is. So you know I'm fully aware that you know you just have to put it into context. But I think I'm hoping that what people will see and get from it is the same kind of same things I I have, which is that there is a way to combat combat the chaos. And there is a way to move through the adversities of life. Um, and these guys show you how to do that um, just in a very unusual way.
0: Yeah. Well, I I can't wait to watch that. And obviously the, the remaining five episodes coming forward. So Rich, I am aware of your time and how early you've been up today, mate. I just want to thank you uh, for a fun interview, mate, and giving up your time today. I know that uh, the listeners will enjoy our banter, um, from a UK to Australian that has kept his UK lovely accent. Uh, Mate, I really appreciate you coming on the show today.
1: (laughs) No worries, mate.
0: We'll see you next time.